0: What is up, my friends? Graham Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're having a great day. We've got a great interview for you today. I'm excited to uh, share with you. We've got a friend of mine that's going to be uh, coming on in just a minute. Before we get into it, uh, let me remind you we do have a uh, free online training. We'd love for you to come hang out with us with where we're teaching all about how to find and book speaking engagements. So. Whether you are brand new to speaking, you're just getting started. Maybe you've been doing this for a little while. You're doing some free things. You're trying to figure out how to get paid or how to get paid more. Wherever you are in your business, we'd love for you to come hang out with us. You can register by going to freespeakerworkshop.com. Again, that is freespeakerworkshop.com. Definitely want to check that out. All right. Today, we're talking with my friend Amy Port. Amy, you may recognize the last name, is married to Michael Port. We actually had Michael way back when, episode seven. We had a really, fun kind of joint interview almost, where he interviewed me, I interviewed him, we had it on each other's podcast, so that was a lot of fun. Again, that's all the way back in episode seven, definitely one of the more popular episodes. Definitely check that one out. So today I'm talking with Michael's wife, Amy, and Amy and Michael teach a training called Heroic Public Speaking, and they really talk about the art of speaking and the presentation and and the delivery of speaking, and so that's really what we're going to be spending some time talking about today. Amy really, really knows her stuff when it comes to this. Really knows the performance side of speaking. And so, if you have the best content on the planet, but you are lame and dull and boring and unengaging and uninteresting, it's going to be hard to build a business that way. So, Amy definitely brings the performance side of the conversation to this day. So, let's get into it, my friends. Here's my conversation, my chit chat, my chit chat, chatteroo with my friend Amy Port. Enjoy. What is up, my friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Today, we are joined by my friend, Amy Port, who is a uh, just an all-around cool gal, amazing speaker, performer, and just she's got some serious wisdom. So buckle up, my friend. You're in for a treat today. Miss Amy, how are you today?
1: I'm doing great, Grant. How
0: are you doing? Doing good. Great to hang out with you. So we had cross paths. You and your—do you still consider him new husband
1: I was going to say hubby. I was going to jump in there and say hubby. I think we've crossed over the newlyweds point and and we're into like, he's my old man. The old
0: man. He's my old man. You've got it figured out at this point. So Amy and Michael got married uh, recently and, and they together founded and run heroic public speaking which is just an amazing i guess it's more i was gonna say an event but it's really more than an event i mean you guys got courses you get the michael's book steal the show which really i I don't know why you're not on that cover of that i mean we should be slapping that on on the next edition but that's neither here nor there so first of all let's do this let's kind of back up because i know a lot of your background is in acting and in theater and in performance and so why don't you kind of give us a little bit about your background and how that has kind of translated into speaking today
1: Sure. Well, I got my master's in fine arts and acting at the Yale School of Drama, which is one of those things that as a young actor, somebody who's acting in college, you never think is going to happen. I know when I auditioned for schools, I was really at that point where I went, oh, I'm not sure what I want to do. And, but you know, I've been acting in college and studying it and it's been my focus. And they say it takes a good six or seven auditions to get into Yale. And uh, so I might as well start racking them up. <laughs> And then I got in and went, oh, shoot, now what do I do? (laughs) I guess I'm in this thing whole hog. And I went through Yale and I had a great experience. Love the art of performance. Absolutely love it. And the nice thing about a training program like that is that you come out and it's pretty easy to start working consistently. And I was, because you come out, you're already in the union's I came out with a great manager and a great agent, ironically the same agent that Michael had right around the same time, although we didn't meet till 15 years later, and worked consistently, paid off my student loans in three years, and didn't have to wait tables, didn't have to do any of that stuff, but moved on because the transient life of the actor for me personally didn't suit me at all. I knew I loved the art of it, didn't love the business of it. And now here I am, 15 years later or so, bringing all of those skills of performance and from the acting world to non-actors. And often one of the questions that we get from people is, well, you know, I I don't want to be an actor. I'm not an actor. I want to speak. And what Michael and I are working together through Heroic Public Speaking to teach people is it's all about performance. We do take on roles as speakers, whether we're taking on the role of an educator or sometimes a bit of a comedian or of a friend. There are different kinds of roles that we step into as soon as we step on stage. Hopefully they're all elements of ourselves so they feel authentic. But certainly we emphasize aspects of our personality when we perform and we downplay others. And so those kind of softer skills of performance, as well as the more technical aspects, are of great use to speakers so that speakers can be compelling and be exciting to watch and be convincing in whatever it is that we're speaking on.
0: Yeah, and I would totally echo that in terms of, of, I think, that initial reaction of, not seeing speaking as a performance. I know that's what I had when I first heard about you guys and first was, was coming across heroic public speaking. I was like, it's just a speech. It's not a performance. Because <laughs> I've always, like, as someone who has done a lot of presentations, I just viewed it as a, a talk, and you got up and delivered it. And the more I've kind of, you know, paid attention to what you guys are doing and what you're talking about, I, I totally get what you're saying. But why, like... How did you make that connection since you're coming from more of the background of the theater world? Michael's coming from more of the speech world and the uh, also, Mm -hmm. I guess, a bit of a performance world. How did you kind of arrive at the conclusion that the speech isn't just a speech, that it is a performance and should be viewed as such?
1: Well, part of it is just from watching people speak. Yeah. Because I have that eye, that kind of director's eye that watches and starts to take apart, okay, what makes one person compelling? What makes one person captivating and another person not? Because certainly most of us, I would assume a lot of your listeners have seen people perform on stage, meaning speak, have seen people deliver a talk, deliver a presentation on stage. And may start to notice, wow, I listen to every word that person says. Mm -hmm. Or I'm scrambling to take notes. Or I'm tuning out, wondering when I can go get my turkey sandwich. Right, right. And so what is that difference? What makes a speaker great versus good? What it comes down to is that it's not just about the content. Mm -hmm. The content can be the most fascinating content and useful to us, but if it's delivered in a way where the person is talking like this, and they're walking back and forth on the stage, we don't hear it. We don't receive the content. We don't digest the content if it isn't delivered in a way that speaks to us and that resonates with us. So that's part of it. I have a two-part answer here. And that's part of it is just from watching and seeing, oh, that person doesn't hold my attention, even though the topic is of interest to me versus, wow, I had no idea I was interested in that material, but listening to that person made me interested. Kind of like, well, you have kids, I have kids. We see all the time that the right teacher makes a world of difference. The right teacher. And often the subject matter doesn't matter as much as, is it the right person teaching it to our kids? It's the same thing for adults. Is the voice that's speaking to us? Is the person we're seeing on stage, creating an experience for us that takes us as an audience on a journey, so that we are in a different place at the end than where we started? Yeah. The second part of it is from watching Michael Port. He.
0: Your voice changed a little bit there. Calm down, <laughs> it's Michael Port. It's a family show. Keep it, it's keep a it together.
1: Show. <laughs> You're hysterical. Yeah, I guess we are still newlyweds in that way, but. The way I have seen him coach people, and people say, oh my gosh, it's like magic. It's like seeing magic happen on stage. It's like watching art being made when he and I coach people. And it is from that theater background. It is from that acting background. It's commonplace to us because people who are trained in theater are used to a director coming to them and saying, try this slight change here. Make eye contact there. Cross downstage left when you say blah blah blah. Yeah, and it changes the audience's experience when a performance is well sculpted—not just the getting up there, winging it, talking about what we're comfortable talking about, knowing our material well, and then going, "Oh, we're just we're going to talk today about whatever it is." Right, right, right. And seeing that right away tapped in for me to the knowledge of, oh, I know how to do that because I have been there. And then Michael was able to give me the skills of keynoting right. that was that bridge between the world of performance acting and the world of keynoting and public speaking.
0: So if I'm a speaker listening to this and I'm going like, okay, I, I get what you're saying, I'm buying it, but how do I begin to make almost that mental shift of viewing it as I'm not just getting up there, taking the mic and just giving my standard keynote or my standard presentation, but I'm viewing this more as a performance. Like, What are some of those things that we can start to tweak to just almost make that mindset, that mental shift?
1: Mm. Well, the first thing I would say is look at your content and make sure it is well-structured. The difference between coming across as a well-educated amateur and coming across as an expert is how well your content is structured. Is there a protocol that you're teaching? Is there a system that you're teaching? Are you clear in your mind when you are shifting from that curriculum into a story or an anecdote that serves as an example? Is the story well-structured? Looking at your content in those ways is the first step. The second is rehearse. And, you know, Grant, it's so interesting Rehearsing is like balancing your checkbook. It's one of those things that we aren't taught at a young age, and we should. Right, we right, should yeah, be. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's a great illustration. You know,
1: we aren't taught about finance as kids or even maybe in college, and all of a sudden we're out in the world and we're adults, and we see young people getting in trouble. Mm-hmm. Rehearsal for a lot of people is, well, I'm going to build my slide deck, and then I'll use those as my cue cards. And I'll speak from those. Rehearsal sometimes is, well, when I'm on the plane or in my hotel room, I'll kind of half mutter it to myself and I'll pace back and forth and I'll think through it. But rehearsal is actually an extended process. Musicians can think about this. You'd never go out and play a piece of Bach or or Tchaikovsky without rehearsing it. Right, right. (laughs) You know, and in the same way, If this is a piece that we will deliver again and again, that becomes our signature talk, if we're looking to become a speaker or a keynoter of that level, then doesn't it deserve and don't the audiences deserve the same amount of attention that you would put into learning that piano sonata or writing a book? Right. Right. And so it's a testament of our commitment to our audiences, and it is in service of them that we learn how to rehearse. And that Heroic Public Speaking, we take people through a seven-step rehearsal protocol that teaches us, teaches the speaker, how to prepare in such a way so that you can nail it and get the standing ovation every single time. Right.
0: So you mentioned the content and the rehearsal piece. I'll actually tell you what, we're going to come back to the delivery piece itself and actually sure. getting on stage. But let's talk about the content. Let's dig into that because that's where I think some people who are listening to this, some people have their talk. It's a talk that they've done many times before or it's a talk that I'm just I've given a time or two I'm, or I'm staring at a blank screen with no idea what <laughs> where to begin. I have no idea what I want to talk. I know I want to speak. I've done it a couple times, but I have no idea what could be the, the kind of that key message that I give. So how do we start to figure out what that content should be? Like what makes a good talk in terms of the content side?
1: Sure. Well, the first thing to start with is what's your big idea? What's your big idea? What are you talking on and why does it matter? Yeah. And so sometimes presentations are given to increase visibility in the marketplace or for sales. Some people simply have an idea or a message that they want to share or spread or a way to express their voice in the world, regardless of what kind of presentation it is, there needs to be an idea to hang your hat on. Mm -hmm. And when I say a big idea, it doesn't have to be new. It doesn't have to be, what's my idea that no one in the world has ever thought of before? (laughs) No, it's, but what is the big idea that matters to you? And then secondly, what is the promise you're making to the audience? What are you telling them? If you adopt my big idea, then here's what will change for you.
0: Do you have an example that comes to
1: mind? Sure. So one of the examples that we often use, because it's well-known, so it's a shared context, is Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. Yeah. So his idea that all men and women are created equal was not new. It was not new, but it also wasn't realized. It wasn't actualized. Mm-hmm. I still don't think it's realized and mm-hmm. actualized. Right. Right. But it's from the Constitution, mm. right? It's not a new idea. And yet the way he delivered it was unique and compelling and powerful. He was able to touch in on that big idea in a new way. The promise of that speech is that when all men and women are treated as equal. That's the dream, Yeah. right? That's the dream. That's the promised land. And so as we're building in, I know that none of us are Martin Luther King Jr., right? Yeah. But as we're going, well, okay, well, what is my idea? What matters to me? What am I speaking on? Then we look at how does it affect the audience? Not just how does it affect me? Right. We see a lot of speakers get up there and talk about what they have been through, <laughs> Here's what I have struggled with and why I want to share it with you so that you don't have to struggle with the same things I do. That's a common, it's not what everybody does, but it's common. We see that. But why does it matter to the audience? What's the promise we make to them? How will things change for them intellectually or emotionally or financially or even spiritually? What are the benefits to them in listening to us? and being open. So we start with the big idea, and then the promise to them. Now, it's also key to demonstrate to the audience that we know what their world looks like. So, for example, if I'm up and I'm presenting on public speaking as performance, here's another example of a big idea, is that public speaking is not just talking, that it is an opportunity to perform, and that it is more effective as performance. If that's my big idea, then my promise is that when we stop speaking and start performing, that we will be able to affect greater change in the world. Okay. We will be more effective in our businesses. We will be more effective in our personal lives. We will be more effective as public speakers. So what does the world look like to my audience? Well, it may be that public speaking is scary. Mm-hmm. It may be that it's a great high. You know, we have plenty of people out there who go, I love being on stage. It's such an adrenaline rush. Right, right. Right? And I don't even remember what happened out there because I was just in the zone.
0: Out-of-body experience.
1: Out-of-body experience. And what we teach is out-of-body experience likely means that you're not yet at the place where you're really sculpting what you're doing. You are running on adrenaline, yes. Yes but that's different from being calm, grounded, conscious, working with what's happening in the moment and sculpting your performance as you go.
0: Yeah. And I would say also with the content there, you kind of touched on it there that it is kind of this work in progress. Like I think sometimes we have this misconception that I create the talk and like right out of the gate, it's going to be perfect. And it's just not, it's, it's always going to be something that you're going to evolve and change. And I always kind of said in a joking way that when you're creating your talk, especially before you've actually presented it, it's really kind of an educated guess on how you think the audience is going to respond. You, you really yeah. have no idea. You think that story is funny, or you think that line <laughs> is sad, or you think it's going to elicit some type of certain reaction. But the fact is, is that you just don't know until you actually get in front of people. And each time you present that, that material or that talk or that content, you're able to read the audience and make those tweaks and those Adjustments and so speakers like Michael or whoever who have given you know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of presentations, Mm -hmm. even though they may tell a lot of the same stories or give a lot of the same material, it's always being tweaked and refined behind the scenes because it is kind of this always this work in progress.
1: Grant, I completely agree, and that's part of why it's important that we aren't so high off the adrenaline that we don't know what happened. Right. 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 And it's another what you just touched on. It's beautiful because one of the things we encourage is that you get up in front of test audiences, it's part of the rehearsal process, sooner rather than later. That you get in front of people to try out a story, try out a section, bring in, whether it's a coach or it's a peer of yours or a colleague or a family member to say, hey, I'm going to ask you for really specific feedback. And it's part of what we train people how to do, how to ask for helpful feedback and how to say no to feedback that perhaps will not be helpful. But to say, I'm just trying to get a sense of it. This story is too long, too short, perfect. Does it have the right details in it? Does it make sense? Do you connect with it? And then perform the story for them.
0: Let's talk about the uh, that, 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 that practice and that rehearsal piece. So I'm creating my talk. So before I would go give it in, you know, whether it's a paid or a free setting, mm-hmm. what would that rehearsal look like? And I would totally echo what you said earlier that professional speakers, the best speakers, they do not get up on stage and they wing it. They do not do that. They spend, I've spent hours and hours and hours pacing my hotel room and pacing my office and talking to myself. And even like you said, it's one thing to just kind of like mumble to yourself. It's another thing to (laughs) do it like you would actually do it. And so there's times where I've practiced in a hotel room holding an ink pen or holding a remote control, like as the (laughs) microphone, because I'm going to, if I'm going to have a microphone or if I'm going to be trying to give some type of illustration and I need my hands free, I got to think that stuff through rather than trying to figure it out on the fly. So there's so much like behind the scenes work that has to happen in order to make that speech or that performance really top notch. So what does that look like? I'm going like, okay, I've got my talk. I've got my big idea. I've got my big promise. I've got these key pieces. And I think this works, but I want to make sure that when I get up on stage that I feel confident, that I feel prepared and I'm not just shooting from the hip. So what does that rehearsal or practicing uh, piece look like?
1: Well, once you're up on your feet, once you're away from the computer or the legal pad, and you have your either detailed outline or full out script, then you're going to get up on your feet and start actually staging it. We've both, I know we have, Grant, seen so many speakers get up and pace the stage. Yeah. Yeah. Or wander. And
0: Like a caged animal almost. (laughs) Like a caged
1: animal because we get so much – there's so much energy. When you're in front of an audience, there is a surreal amount of energy just in all of those eyes on you. And we physically don't often know what to do with that energy. Right. Yep. That's why our bodies shake sometimes, why knees shake or hands shake or why we start pacing is to dispel some of that energy. But what if instead – As a performer, you knew exactly when you were going to stand and land and be steady and deliver your content and when you were going to move. When you were going to move and why. Mm -hmm. And so we start to stage it so that we give it more power. Now, the other thing staging does is it creates a visual for the audience You are the most important visual there is, more important than any slide, certainly more important than any bullet points, than any image, than any video. You want the audience to build a relationship with you as a performer. Mm -hmm. And so on stage, you create really a picture. It is a play if you're on stage in the same way that we look at a TV screen or a computer screen or a stage that has an arch around it. The audience looking at that sees a picture, sees an image. So what we do with our bodies and the images we create on stage with our physical presence is incredibly impactful or wasted. So we would start to look at how do we sculpt in rehearsal where we are going to move on the stage and when. For example, let's say I'm presenting the three keys to making a good donut now. I've never made a donut. I've never (laughs) made a donut in my life. But let's say we're presenting the three keys to making the world's best donut.
0: We're all listening and we are ready for this. (laughs) This better be good.
1: (laughs) So we're delivering that content. We're going through the three steps, but perhaps I have built into my speech, oh, at the end of step one, I'm going to share a story. So at that moment, I may cross down to the edge of the stage and change my tone of voice. I bring in some contrast yeah. so that it's almost like a, a more secretive tone, or I'm going to let you in on the real secret now, and it has to do with using confectioner sugar instead of using granular sugar oh, wow. inside the donut. You may do granular sugar on the outside, but it's confectioner sugar on the inside. Here's what I'm going to tell you about how my grandmother taught me that. You know, when I start to change the tone of voice it creates contrast. It gets the audience on the edge of their seats. Whereas if I'm standing in one place the whole time and I don't change my tone and I don't change where I'm placed on stage, then I run the risk of losing the audience. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. How do you find the balance though in both in terms of your movements and just your words? How do you find the balance between feeling scripted versus feeling like fully present. You know, cuz there's some mm-hmm. speakers that you can watch and you're just like, you are so deep in your own head that like <laughs> if anything, like if anything happens, like the slide gets thrown off or something happens in the room, like you can just tell they're gone, like what well, where was I? What was I talking about? They're just g- gone sure. because they're in this script. They're in this sure. mode versus like being fully present in the room so that whatever happens, you can roll with that, you can address that, you can make a joke out of that. So how do how do you kind of find that balance there between being like rehearsed but not over rehearsed
1: yeah so it's it's so interesting because this is a question that we hear a lot and one of the things people sometimes say to me is rehearsal makes me worse not better i feel stilted when i rehearse or i feel constrained yeah If we only do a little bit of rehearsal, that's what happens because we're going, oh, wait, what did I plan? Where was I going to move on the stage? We get in our own head trying to remember what we rehearsed rather than having it completely ingrained in us. The more we rehearse, the more fluid we become, the more improvisational we become. It sounds counterintuitive. But the more we know what we have planned to do inside and out, the more we can leave it knowing that we can come back to it at any moment. So if I'm delivering my presentation and somebody in the audience has a heart attack and this has happened, if I'm just in my own head, I can't address what's happening in the room, whether it's a waiter dropping a plate or it's somebody heckling you or as something as unfortunate as someone having a heart attack. We can't address it if we're in our own head. But if we are so well rehearsed that we know what we're doing inside and out, it becomes simple to stop, own what's happening in the room, address what's happening in the room, and not be at all frightened, thrown off in any way, have a problem with going back and picking up. Right. And sometimes those are delightful moments, right? Right, right. They're not all bad things that happen. Sometimes there's an interaction that happens with the audience that makes the event so unique. It makes it so special. And the audience loves when they see something that they think is completely spontaneous. The irony is that that's what rehearsal gives you, is the ability to be spontaneous while you know exactly what is going on,
0: I would a thousand percent agree with that. That I, as a speaker, one of my favorite things is those raw, real moments that the audience knows, like, It's one of those, like, you had to be there, right? That -hmm. that one experience, that wouldn't be funny in any other context, but here together in this setting, in this room, that was awesome. Whatever that moment was. The other thing I would echo there that you kind of touched on is that when you feel practiced, when you feel rehearsed, a lot of times speakers may need to make some of those adjustments on the fly as they're on stage. So there are times where that you are hired to go speak for sixty minutes, and you've prepared sixty minutes, and right before you're going on, they're like, "Hey, we got to cut it down to forty-five minutes, or can you go a little bit longer?" So rather than you panicking, go, "I have my script; I have to stick to my script." <laughs> uh, you go, like, "No, no, I can. I know some of those things that I can trim. I know some of those things that I can add, or some of those things I can adjust." In the same way that as a speaker, like I always have a pretty good sense within the first, usually like thirty seconds to a minute, like how the next forty-five to sixty minutes are going to go based mm-hmm. on how that audience is reacting. So you may be able to make some of those adjustments of going like, okay, if, if they didn't respond to this, then that thing I'm going to be doing in 27 minutes, they're definitely not going to respond to that. Or they loved this, so we need to add, let's tweak this here. And so you're kind of making some of those adjustments on the fly based on that audience. And so again, like you said, that practice and that rehearsal gives you the comfort level to move things around, to pivot and to switch accordingly to that audience to make it the best possible presentation.
1: That's right, because it is a conversation. hmm And that's sometimes what beginning public speakers don't understand. They're like, oh, it's a monologue. No, it's not. It's a conversation between you and the audience. Their part just happens to be silent most of the time. Right, right. And so we're responding to what we see on their faces. We're responding to what the energy of the audience feels like. And when we are well-prepared, we're responding to what we anticipate their thought process might be. Mm -hmm. So that we've already gone through, okay, so what are the potential arguments the audience or resistance points the audience might have to what I'm saying yeah you know their thoughts ahead of time you know what your frequently asked questions are and you build into your speech an addressing of those issues and what often happens then is people come up to you afterward and say you know I was thinking that exact thing
0: (laughs) right right
1: when you said it
0: right or the times where the, you say something and the audience is kind of like nodding along or looking to their neighbors saying, that's so true. Like <laughs> I hadn't thought about that, but you're just, you're staying like almost one step ahead of them and what they're thinking and having that you're kind of into someone, I don't remember who said this, but someone said basically like you're entering the conversation that they're already having in their mind. Right. Beautiful. Um, I always try to think it through the lens of the audience is always asking two questions. So what? And now what? So what? And now what? Mm-hmm. All right. This is great that you're talking to us, but like, so what, why does this apply to me? And then. And yep. now what? Like, what am I supposed to do as a result of this? So, And that all happens, again, not only in the crafting side of it, but then also in the practicing and rehearsing side. So i tell you what, Amy, let's do this because it's one thing to talk this stuff through. It's another thing to see this stuff in action. So we, we touched on it earlier. You guys have a phenomenal live event that you do coming up in October of this year. So why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about Heroic Public Speaking?
1: Sure. So Heroic Public Speaking Live is our live event, and it's happening this year, October 31st, November 1st and 2nd in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And early bird tickets are available right now. It's a three-day training at the Broward Center for the Performing Arts. So this is not an event that we do in a hotel or a conference center, we do this event in the theater. We have great reverence for the stage. It's our background for both Michael and I, and it's different for a budding public speaker or a professional one to step up on a stage rather than on a riser in a hotel room, in a conference room. So our event, we move into stagecraft. So we work on voice, we work on speech, we work on movement. We teach the rehearsal protocol that we've talked about here. We do masterclass where individuals get up on the stage and receive direct coaching on their material from Michael and I. And each of these events, each time we do them, they're a little different. Often we bring in business panels. We've had in Bob Berg, Scott Stratton, Chris Brogan. You came and did our pre-con this last year, which was so joyful and so valuable for people. Scott McCain. We bring in people from speakers bureaus and agents so that The questions for the public speaker, regardless of what level they're at, can be answered by the people who are up there doing it all the time. Now, we're still developing the curriculum for this fall's event, but it is an opportunity. You asked, what are ways we can just change our thinking? Certainly, being in the room with people, doing the work, getting into the hands-on nitty-gritty of it is the best way to kickstart and start changing the work you're doing from speaking to performing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's one thing to listen to a podcast like this and, or any podcast, really. Or It's another thing to actually be in the room with people who are doing it. And so, Amy, like you said, I was able to attend and be a part of Heroic Public Speaking Live this past year, and just or excuse me, this year, really, and mm-hmm. uh, just absolutely loved it. It's a phenomenal event. I would wholeheartedly endorse it and definitely recommend people check oh, it out. Thank you. Uh, it's thank a you. lot of fun, a lot of fun, both on the business side and on the art side. Of Again, it's one thing to, to talk about these things. It's another thing to see them in action. Plus, just the being around people where that are interested in speaking at all levels of speaking Mm -hmm. those that are veterans those that are just new and being around people like that where you're just like these are my people they get it i'm the (laughs) i'm one of the weird ones that wants to be up there on that stage and these people do too so it's a great supportive community so definitely check that out we'll be sure and link up to heroic public speaking live in the show notes so amy where else can we find you if we want to find you online or uh somewhere else where can we go (laughs)
1: Sure. Um, Best place is just to go to heroicpublicspeaking.com. There's information in there, not just about the live event, but about our online courses and our in depth four month trainings and everything that we're up to. We have over the summer a a video reel offering coming up where, for those people who are out there starting to speak, you know you need video to book Mm -hmm. the gigs. And so we have a few spots left open for that offering as well, where we shoot your video and edit it down. And you then have a high quality demo reel to help you book the gigs too so we've,
0: we've talked about that a lot on the show that you need demo videos those things are yeah. critically important so you know especially when you're getting going and, and you need some quality footage then they can definitely uh hook you up with that so amy thanks for the time we appreciate you
1: thank you so much grant such a pleasure
0: All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Miss Amy Port, a lovely, lovely lady and a great speaker. So I hope you enjoyed that. A lot of fun there. Hey, let me remind you again that we do have a uh, online training we'd love for you to check out. Totally free. You can go to freespeakerworkshop.com, freespeakerworkshop.com, where we are teaching you uh, all about how to find and book speaking engagement. So you can register for the next one that we've got. And uh, we would love to have you come hang out with us. So that wraps up episode 75. We will see you uh, later in the week with episode 76. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're having a great summer. And we'll talk to you again soon. You're awesome.